Broadcasting live to New York, Bloomberg 1130. To Washington, D.C., Bloomberg 991. To Boston, Bloomberg 1200. To San Francisco, Bloomberg 960. To the country, Sirius XM Channel 119. And around the globe, the Bloomberg Radio Plus app and Bloomberg.com. This is Bloomberg Surveillance. Good morning, 830 on Wall Street. I'm Michael McKee, along with... Tom Keene, Economic Indicators, brought to you by Commonwealth Financial Network. When it's time to change the conversation, talk with a broker-dealer, RIA, that's ready to listen. Call 866-462-3638 or visit Commonwealth.com to learn more. No major indicators at the 8.30 hour today. However, we do have new home sales out at 10 a.m., and that will get a lot of attention. We saw the decline in existing home sales reported earlier this week. And, of course, at 9 o'clock, coming up at the top of the hour, Tom Keene and I will be interviewing U.S. St. Louis Federal Reserve President James Bullard. On Bloomberg do, do we Radio know which dot and television. Is? We do not, but we are going to try to find out. Interesting, yesterday, uh, Patrick Harker, the new president of the Philadelphia Fed, made specific reference to it and said, I am not one of the two dot people. I think we should raise rates more than that. So we'll see if we can't start placing some of these people. Yeah, this is a good person to talk to as we go to James Bullard in the next 30 uh, minutes, even less than 30 minutes. John Norman is a student of the linkage of economics into foreign exchange. He's out of Georgetown Economics with a career path at J.P. Morgan that has led him to uh, ride herd on the dollar. Let me quote Norman. Despite the Federal Reserve's well-known serial forecast errors, markets nonetheless move every time James Bullard lowers the dots. I put in a little phrase there, John Norman, to do that for entertainment, but you really don't know where the dots are, do you, John Norman? Well, all we know is the dots seem to go down every quarter, and, and investors tend to extrapolate from that, and I think that's the, the main worry that investors have every time the, the Fed rolls up to one of these quarterly press conferences, even though the, the Fed has its dots way above the, the market, yeah. the fact that they've been lowering them for so long makes some people think they may never hike again. Bill Dudley said in a speech a bit ago, Ford guidance may be a thing of the past. Will the dots be a thing of the past? I don't think the dots will be. Uh, they they may lose their their sticker shock for, for investors. The, the the less accurate these are as as a predictor of future rates, the, the the less investors will pay attention to them. But I don't think they'll disappear as a as a piece of information that the Fed provides. But I agree with the idea that the, the forward guidance is much less credible when you're at a, a turning point uh, with some, with respect to some part of the business cycle. And right now we're going through a, a rethink around inflation and, and in that kind of environment where you can't have much certainty around CPI, you can't have much certainty around Fed policy. Is this a situation where uh, investors think the, the dots are wrong or hope they're wrong in the sense that uh, – Every time the Fed discusses the idea of raising rates, we seem to have a temper tantrum in the markets. People uh, just don't want to give up getting additional, uh, having that buyer of last resort out there. Right. I would say the the realization of the dots is certainly a market event, and it's, and it's a high-vol market event. Even if the Fed is only projecting a couple of hikes over the next uh, or through the balance of the year, that, that's still about twice as much as what's in the, the money market curve. So you're right that investors do fear that the Fed is actually going to deliver on its on its uh, on its mm-hmm. sort of stipple design. And if they do, you're going to see rates moving up in the Treasury market and, and the dollar moving up as well. You're getting a, a taste of that just over the past 
two or three sessions as a number of, of Fed officials have um, reaffirmed their their sort of commitment to a couple of hikes this year. What would you like to ask Dr. Bullard? I mean, just very simply, you're off the foreign exchange as you've written brilliantly in the dollar recently. What's your question for Jim Bullard? I would probably ask them um, why they've needed to move down their rate projections so substantially over the past year and a half. What, what, why and, and, and why, if they if something is motivating them to do that, they haven't marked down their views on on growth that substantially. There, there seems to be a, a bit of an inconsistency in, in sort of expressing this belief mm-hmm. in um, in in a firmer U.S. economy, yet uh, every quarter moving down their expectations for where policy rates need to be. Where is the opportunity in foreign exchange right now? We see a lot of reanalysis of dollar, perpetual dollar strength is fading into the distance. You've written on that as well. Where is the opportunity in foreign exchange? Let's say there's probably two buckets. There's a, there's a lot of tactical opportunities over the next, say, nine months as the Fed hikes uh, a, a couple of times. And there's probably a, a big strategic opportunity still in, uh, in the yen. So the, the tactical opportunities are all around being long dollars some quarters, short dollars other quarters, simply because I think the, the broad index is in a range. And uh, it's not quite at a turning point. It's, it's probably going to move sideways plus or minus 5% from where we are now. Um, some people consider that an opportunity. You know, I certainly do. Um, but that means that, that clients have to be quite nimble. I'd say the bigger opportunity is more around the yen. I, I still feel like if we're looking at a Fed cycle that's going to be pretty shallow and, and a Japanese economy that still has a, a big current account surplus, the yen could appreciate for a while. And if um, a consequence of, of Fed tightening over the next year could be a U.S. recession in, in 2017, I think that is going to add to the upside for the yen. There's, a, there's another big strategic opportunity everyone's looking at, and that's um, the, the move back into emerging market currencies and, and commodity currencies. Um, but I think it's premature for that. It, Interesting. It's certainly the case that uh, clients should be buying um, the – or they should be bullish on EM currencies and commodity currencies if they think the Fed is going to be on hold. But the Fed needs to be on hold for the right reasons. It needs to be on hold because inflation right. is never coming back. Um, and if you're convinced that that's the kind of world we're in, then fine, buy that stuff. Yeah. But if you think um, we could be in a world where inflation is only temporarily at bay, or if you believe that we're in a world where the Fed pushes us into recession, it's it's way premature to be buying those on a strategic basis. John Norman off the desk in uh, London with J.P. Morgan uh, today as we look at foreign exchange. Of course, it's linkage into economics. We will continue uh, with John Norman uh, here into our next section. Right after that, Michael McKee and I will speak with uh, Jim Bullard of the St. Louis Fed. Mike, just so much to talk about with Jim Bullard this morning. Yeah, go, go for we'll two talk hours. some more with John about that uh, coming up. Yeah, well, Jim Bullard here in 20 minutes or so. Uh, a churn to the market, futures flat. Uh, they yield 1.93%. This hour of surveillance brought to you by Volvo White Cars White Plains. Visit volvocarswhiteplains.com. Here's Michael Barr with headlines. Mike, Tom, thank you very much. Belgian police continue to hunt for terror suspects in yesterday's attack in Brussels. A Belgian prosecutor says authorities have not arrested the man in the suspect in the Belgian bombings, 24-year-old Najim Lashraoui. The Islamic State has claimed responsibility for the attack in Brussels that killed 34 people. Donald Trump was asked about national security in the U.S. after the Brussels attack. Trump on Bloomberg's, with all due respect, took a swipe at Hillary Clinton. If there are crises like we saw in Brussels and this election focused a lot on national security, you think you can beat her head-to-head on national security? I think so. I think every time we have a problem in this world, 
I think I do better. That's been proven in your polls. I mean, it's not that I want. I'd rather not have any problems and do worse, okay, if I had my choice. The entire interview can be seen at 5 p.m. Wall Street time on Bloomberg TV. With all due respect, voters have had their say in Tuesday's presidential primaries and caucuses. Democrat Hillary Clinton and Republican Donald Trump extended their leads with victories in the Arizona primaries. And Texas Senator Ted Cruz was a big winner in Utah's Republican caucuses. Bernie Sanders won the Democratic caucuses in Utah and Idaho. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by our 2,400 journalists and more than 150 news bureaus from around the world. I'm Michael Barr. Mike, Tom. Thank you, Michael. Time now for the uh, Ray Katina Auto Group Bloomberg NBC Sports Update with John Stashauer. All right, Michael, the local NBA and NHL team in action. Last night, the Nets lost at home to Red Hot Charlotte, 105-100. Hornets have taken 19 of their last 24 games. Knicks are in Chicago tonight. Rangers host the Bruins in Tampa last night. Yankees beat the Mets 6-3. Battle of young pitchers who reached the majors last year. Luis Severino again pitched well. Steven Matz, not so much, gave up five runs in the second inning. Baseball on display yesterday in Havana. Everyone in agreement. One thing the U.S. and Cuba share a love for. So there was President Obama sitting next to Cuban counterpart Raul Castro watching Tampa Bay Rays beat the Cuban national team 4-1. to Only once before in 1999 had a major league team. This isn't Cuba since revolution. Before the NFL owners end their meetings today in Florida, there may be a decision on a rule change that would eject from a game a player who's had two unsportsmanlike conduct penalties. Also, no vote yesterday on proposals to expand the use of instant replay. The NFL has made permanent the longer point after touchdown that began last season and did achieve its goal of making the extra point not as automatic. With Bloomberg NBC Sports Update, I'm John Stashauer. John, thank you so much. Mike McKee, let's, uh, uh, 20 minutes away from a conversation with Jim Bullard. When I say to people that he's a centrist, but with great nuance, this is not a guy who's out in the outliers, is he? No, he, uh, he generally follows uh, the latest developments in the macro economy and uh, does a lot of research on his yeah. own. Uh, some interesting work on what he calls neo-fisherian economics um, in recent weeks, and we'll ask him about that. Basically, the idea that uh, neg- uh, low interest rates are the reason why we are not seeing inflation rise. It's, it's not that he's embracing it, but he has looked at that possibility. Yeah, well, Irving Fisher uh, from, not Stanley Fisher, Neo Fisherian, Irving Fisher from, I believe, a few uh, in distant past uh, as well on inflation. He was on surveillance a few years ago. Yes, Irving <laughs> Fisher was with us. It was the Coolidge Convention in Cleveland, I believe it was. Uh, James Bullard in 20 minutes worldwide at Bloomberg Surveillance. The sports report was brought to you by Ray Katina Auto Group. Let Ray Katina show you the way to affordable luxury driving. Visit any one of their 16 beautiful showrooms in New Jersey and New York. Call 1-800-NEW-AUTO or go to RayKatina.com for special offers. Global business news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app. And on your radio, this is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. This update's brought to you by Mark's Panet LLP, ranked among the top three forensic accounting firms in New York by the New York Law Journal for the sixth year in a row. Visit MarksPanet.com. Credit Suisse Group Chief Executive Officer Tijan TM pledged to accelerate a restructuring through deeper cost cuts and by eliminating an additional 2,000 jobs as he forecast a first quarter loss. Tiam made the comments in an interview with Francine Lacqua on Bloomberg Television. I'm a very risk-averse defensive manager, and I can tell you that the risking we've done 
It's cost us, but it's protected us a lot. If we had not de-risked the way we've done since we found out about this problem in January, given the shape of the first quarter, the numbers would be much worse. And that's Credit Suisse Group Chief Executive Tijan TM speaking with Francine Lacroix on Bloomberg Television. U.S. stock index futures, little change to lower this morning. S&P E-mini futures down two points. Dow E-mini futures down 19. NASDAQ E-mini futures down two. DAX in Germany is up nine-tenths percent. Ten-year Treasury up four-thirty seconds. The yield 1.92 percent. Comex crude oil down 1.2 percent or 50 cents to 40.96 a barrel. Comex gold down 1.8 percent or 22 dollars 80 cents to 12.25 70 an ounce. The euro a dollar 11.78. The yen won 12.77. And Nike down 5 percent in early trading after its annual forecast missed analyst estimates. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Tom and Mike. Karen, uh, thanks so much. It is 8:48 on Wall Street. The following is from Bloomberg View. Opinions and commentary from Bloomberg columnists. I'm Paula Dwyer, an editor with Bloomberg View. Just about everything Donald Trump says about trade is wrong, but his use of trade deficit numbers is especially so. To understand why, consider his attacks on Apple, which he accuses of destroying American jobs by making iPhones in China. The devices are designed and engineered in the U.S. Their software was developed by Apple in the U.S. Many of the parts come from suppliers outside China. China, including Germany, Japan, and South Korea. But because China assembles and ships the phones, adding only about $6.50 in value, according to one study, the device's value is attributed to China as an export and to the U.S. as an import. You can see how the U.S. trade deficit can quickly become inflated. One economist calculated that this inflation adds 40 percentage points to the U.S. trade deficit with China. This is why Apple stamps the back of each of its devices with designed by Apple in California, assembled in China. So when Trump repeatedly claims that the U.S. trade deficit with China is $505 billion a year, don't believe it. I'm Paula Dwyer, an editor with Bloomberg View. For more commentary and opinion, please go to BloombergView.com. This has been Bloomberg View. And Bloomberg commentary can be heard hourly weekdays. On Bloomberg Radio, Michael McKee and Tom Keene. Again, in 10 minutes, James Bullard of the St. Louis Fed. And there's a wonderful precursor to that, John Norman uh, of J.P. Morgan in uh, London. John, when you look at Fed policy, and we've had a whole breakdown in the last couple of years on the cadence and rhetoric of discussion of the dollar by U.S. public officials. Is it appropriate for Fed officials to speak on the dollar? Absolutely. It's an economic, it's a financial variable that affects the economy. And since they're charged with managing the business cycle to some extent to ignore a financial variable, whether it's the dollar, credit spreads, equity markets, would, would, would be to miss a very important piece of information. Can we say the same about those in the United Kingdom? What an interesting 48 hours it has been with Prime Minister Cameron having to discuss Brexit along with the tragedy in Brussels. And then we saw the mayor of London, Boris Johnson, today reaffirm uh, an exit. Tell me how the pound will go back and forth as we staggered it late June. Well, I think the, the consequences of a, of a Brexit are, are uh, can be so substantial that unless we see a swing in the polls in favor of the U.K. remaining in the EU and a, and a, by a wide margin before the actual vote on the 23rd of, of June, I think the pound continues to depreciate. Uh, I would say if the, the U.K. voted to leave the EU, you'd probably see an additional 10 to 15 percent decline in right. the current. So that takes you down to a, what, a 125 level? Yeah, I think that I think it could reach that on on a on a vote to exit. 
just extraordinary. That gets you back, folks, to 1984-85 and the weakness. Well, I think the way to think about it is it's a regime change. So whenever you have a regime change, there are many right. types of regime changes for currency markets, and, and when those tend to occur, the adjustment in the currency can be anything right. from from 20 to 30 percent. Does that does maybe. that regime change? And there's a whole philosophy behind this, folks. I think a popper out of LSE, among others. If you have a regime change of that type, what does euro sterling do, and what does it mean for the export machine that is Germany? Well, I think it's for sure it's going to push the the, the euro higher, the euro sterling rate uh, higher, and I think. Um, Depending on the magnitude of that, this could be a, a hit to European growth, but I, I don't think of um, euro sterling as something that's going to substantially reduce the, the growth outlook for the euro area. It, it's, it's the, the, the trade sort of linkages with the UK are less important for Europe than, say, Europe's trade linkages to the US or, or okay, to sure. the emerging markets. Is there a London alternative on the continent of Europe? And I say this not after Brussels. I would have said this to you five days ago. Is there a do, – do you see an alternative to the city? Well, if you think of uh, comparable cities being defined by the flexibility of the labor market, then no, there's no competitor. There, there, may be, or there's, there would be no comparable financial center in Europe. You could have uh, several competing ones uh, going after the the, the – the market share that London currently enjoys, but uh, I seriously doubt you'd see one single city with uh, the financial influence of London. Let me ask you uh, about something David Kotak was talking about earlier on the show, and that is the, the impact of negative rates from around the world. Their work at Cumberland Advisors suggests we're seeing um, uh, U.S. rates depressed by 30 to 40 basis points. Would you say that's a fair assessment? And if that's the case, how does the Fed know what to do, and how do how do the markets know what to do? I, I think that's fair. I think this uh, broader dynamic of bigger central bank balance sheets, asset purchases, negative interest rates, it's, it's kind of the, the, the new conundrum um, for bond markets in the sense that it's, it's something that depresses rates in the states even as the Fed is, is tightening. Well, I shouldn't call it a conundrum because we know what it is already. But in any event, it's a, it's a depression on the long end. And, and normally, uh, we think, you know, the lesson from the Greenspan um, tightening was that if a conundrum is weighing on the on, on long end yields, they have to move short end rates more. But I think um, the Fed won't necessarily have to raise rates more because the Treasury market fails to sell off. What, what they're getting in exchange, in, instead of higher Treasury yields, is they're getting wider credit spreads weaker equity prices and a stronger dollar. So, you know, the whole kind of range of financial conditions can still tighten in the U.S., even if exactly. the taking rate never cracks to 2%. This is a really important idea that the markets do for the Fed what the Fed can't do publicly. Do I have that right? Yes, that's fair. Absolutely. How many rate increases has the market assisted Chair Yellen with? Two already? I agree. It's esoteric, to say the least. I guess all we know is that um, despite cash rates having gone up only 25 basis points, uh, the U.S. is still kind of struggling to consistently print 2% growth, and corporate profits are are contracting. So the the economy Mm -hmm. is sort of behaving as if it's in a slump, even with loose monetary conditions as defined by the cash rate. That's sort of suggestive Mm -hmm. of all other financial conditions that are weighing on the U.S. economy, particularly uh, the the level of the dollar. John Norman, thank you for a perfect briefing before James Brollard. Mr. Norman is with J.P. Morgan in London. Love to speak to him when we're over visiting 
at London as well. And certainly he's adjusting dollar strength views to uh, more dollar stability, depending on which pair you're speaking with. Also timely there as well. Uh, the discussion on pound sterling. We heard Steve Gallo over at BMO Capital Markets suggest the same vector on Brexit and only on Brexit. You need that vote to get there but of a 10 to 15% adjustment, which is in the vicinity with a broad statement of a 125 on sterling, which um, I, I'm just in the camp, folks, that I think it would be a profound change on tourism and the dynamics of consumption uh, within and without the United Kingdom. We'll see what we do if we go from 141 uh, to 125. This is most interesting. If you're just joining us worldwide, Bloomberg 1200 Boston, 99.1 FM, Washington and Baltimore, 960, the Bay Area in San Francisco. And, of course, uh, in New York, 11.30, we say good morning particularly to all of you on Sirius and XM Channel 119 in the Federal Reserve Bank of St. Louis District. James Bullard, I just saw him walk by. Michael McKee has wandered out to greet President Bullard. And we will have an important and lengthy conversation uh, with Mr. Bullard. Uh, one of the things that's fun is, uh, is a rule which we've always done on surveillance and Bloomberg on the economy. We never get together and go over our questions. I have no idea where Michael McKee's going. He has no idea where I'm going. And that You're makes it interesting. You're going to talk about Fed policy, though, right? We're going to talk about <laughs> Fed policy. Maybe we'll both Maybe agree baseball. to talk. Maybe we'll talk. Well, the Red Sox beat the Cardinals yesterday in spring training. It's a game that didn't count. Unlike in October. Uh, but anyways, um, it's as much fun for me and Mike because we really don't know where we're going with anyone. And particularly with as someone as smart as a Ph.D. from Indiana University, James uh, Bullard. So this will be important for those of you on Global Wall Street. Always Jim Bullard can move uh, the markets. The yield 1.93%. The 30-year bond, I haven't quoted in ages, 2.71%. Oil churns, $41 a barrel. The yen, 112.80. Uh, that's a weaker yen, weaker euro, 111.74. And sterling, 141.58. Next, a conversation with Jim Bullard. Worldwide, Bloomberg Surveillance. <laughs> 